they're our owners, they're our customers, they're our partners. You know, we live with them, we go to church with them, and you know, they're the ones that are going to end up paying the bills, so you better ask them. They're going to take your service before you start. Welcome to episode 419 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Rye Marcatilio McCracken here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today, Christopher speaks with Brad Honnold, General Manager at Coon Rapids Municipal Utilities in West Central Iowa. Coon Rapids started with the cable TV system almost 40 years ago and remains today one of the smallest municipal fiber networks, especially of those that offer cable TV packages. Christopher and Brad talk about the evolution of the communications utility over the last four decades, from cable all the way to fiber today. They discuss the importance of the network taking community concerns seriously, including engaging the community in discussions about what is needed. Now here's Christopher talking with Brad Honnold. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance up in St. Paul, Minnesota. And today I'm speaking with Brad Honnold, the General Manager at Coon Rapids Municipal Utilities in Coon Rapids, Iowa. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So let me let me ask you first. First, <laughs> I'm going to ask you in a second um, why um, how we know your network has been has been worth the investment. But first, you know, Coon Rapids. Um, what what part of Iowa is that in, and, and what's the community like? It's in West Central Iowa. It's a very small community of about 1,305 people. Um, very small, knit, kind of tight, about two and a half square miles as far as our city or corporate limits go. So. Um, but it's a mix of, you know, commercial, industrial, some light industrial, and, but mostly residential as far as customer classes go. And pretty surrounded by, by farmland, grower community? Yeah, it's we're an agricultural-based uh, community, but we've been kind of trans- transitioning out of that. And we have more of a, a diversified downtown now. We have a lot of, of young entrepreneurs from like boutique-style um, arts and crafts, home decorations, things of that nature. And we used to be predominantly uh, a one industry town with the Garston Seed or what was Pioneer ICI Seed Seacorn Company in town. And, and they were the largest employer. But since then, uh, that's gone away. Hartrung Brothers have taken over that operation and our main streets uh, become more diversified and, and spread out, which is good. That is good, and that's that's exactly what we want to see. Um, I have to yep. I have to wonder then. My next question: if if these things are related, um, having um, such great broadband service that, that your utility has been providing, um, you know, how do you how do you know that it's been worth it all of these many years that you've been providing broadband? Well, I, I think it absolutely is. I mean, we hear it from our community. I mean, we don't do things hoping you know that good things will happen. We actually live in our communities and know our customers and, and know our neighbors well. And we ask them, you know, before we do stuff. So, you know, back when the internet started becoming a thing in the, in the nineties and just advanced telecommunications, um, you know, we were getting left behind. Um, as you know, that a lot of analogies were made to, you know, if your town didn't get built on the railroad, you know, progress stopped. And so the old axiom of, of the internet superhighway, if you will, or the new interstate system of the future being the internet and, you know, if you didn't have modern broadband in your community and or access to that, you know, your community and businesses were going to get left behind. And that's exactly what our, our population told us. Our customers told us that. Um, and we see it today. I mean, I mean, I can't imagine businesses functioning today. Our insurance agents in town, you know, almost all their systems have gone to the cloud now where they log in and get it through the Internet instead of having their own servers and, and stuff of that nature. So, um, it is very important, and uh, that was a part of the reason that we built our fiber network, was to keep that up. 
Now, you are one of the communities that I think has gone through multiple iterations, right? You had a, you had a cable network before the, the fiber network. Yep. Can you t- walk us back to how you got into communications um, back in the beginning? Sure. I mean, and we have, unfortunately. I mean, I've, we've seen three of them get built. We've over, overbuilt ourselves three times. So, yeah, back in the 80s, we were one of the first communities in Iowa to, to get in the cable business. So, in 1982, uh, we built a, a 300 megahertz system, so you could basically do 35 to 40 video channels. And that served our, our community well. Um, but our community didn't want to get into it. Um, we had a local utility for quite a while. We had an electric, gas, water, and wastewater utility, but we didn't have a cable utility. And so our, our forefathers wrote to the nearest cable vision, which was, I think, our cable company, which was, I believe at the time, Heritage Cable Vision or TCI and asked them to come to Kinder Rapids and build a cable television system. And the response that they got back basically was, uh, no, thank you. You know, we're going we're gonna to build out into our major metropolitan areas first, and when we get to rural Iowa, you know, we'll, we'll get to it. And so that didn't settle very well with the people in Kinder Rapids. And having a history of doing things ourselves and having local utilities and, and taking care of it ourselves, um, they said, let's do this. Let's build a cable television system. So formed that utility in 82. Like I said, built a 300 megahertz system and that provided video up until, oh, till the 19, um, what, 1990s until that started running out of the room. So basically everything when we've overbuilt, we either ran out of capacity or, or our customers have wanted, you know, more. And so that 300 megahertz plant, like I said, could only go up to about 35 channels, 3540 if it was really clean. And so then in the mid-90s, as you know, ESPN2, all these other networks started coming on. Everybody started wanting more channels. And so we were, we were hearing that loud and clear, and the technology was there. So there was a, you know, a bigger network you could build. So we could build a 750 megahertz hybrid fiber capacity. So basically, you know, more than double the capacity on our plant, which would allow us to put more channels on. But when we ran the financials, it didn't work. The cost to do it... Uh, with just video as your only revenue source, just didn't work. And when you when you say that, I'm just curious, how many customers did you have? Video back then probably about 450 customers, I would guess. Sure. Well, then that makes sense. I mean, you're talking about the significant <laughs> fixed cost, <laughs> especially. And so, if you think about that, we, you know, we had our own head end. So we have our own head end, all our, our own dishes, or you know, receivers, modulators for every channel for 450 customers. So there wasn't a lot of customer base to spread that capital over. Right. So anyway, where I cut you off, but you said you were, um, so you've, you decided you couldn't do the cable only, but I'm guessing we're going to get to a but. Right. But, right. So we were kind of frustrated in that. And then everything kind of came together in about 1996. Technology, uh, legislation. So you know that little thing called the Telecom Act in 96. So that basically came out and deregulated the communication industry and allowed us or any entity, if you will, to get into the communications business. So, or telephone for lack of a better word that helps. So when we looked at that and said, Hey, if we built this new network, not only could we do video, we could get into telephone business. So that'd be another revenue stream. And then if you remember too, in 1996, the internet really started to, to grab hold. So now we're looking at three different services. So three different revenue streams, one network that could carry it all. And technology kind of caught up then too. So there was, with the 750 megahertz plant, there was a system out there, if you will, with these voice ports that we ended up going with through Nortel, that you could do all of that on one plant. 
So when we re-ran the numbers and the performa with three different revenue streams, we're like, hey, we, I think we, we can make this work and be profitable. So we sat down with our community and presented them all this information, educated them on the technology that was out there, the, the different revenue streams possibly with telephone and with Internet. And we are made up a task force of about 16 different people across our community, uh, asked them what they thought, had a lot of meetings, and consensus was, yeah, that we should move forward. So we held an election in, in uh, August of 96, and it passed by 87%. And before the end of the year, we were providing dial-up Internet. 87%. I mean, you weren't kidding when you said you, you talk with the community before you make these decisions. Yeah, well, and you have to. I mean, like I said, there are our owners, there are our customers, there are our partners. You know, we live with them, we go to church with them, and, you know, they're the ones that are going to end up paying the bills, so you better ask them, you know, if they're going to take your service before you start. It seems to make sense. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so it, it went really well. And then uh, in 1998, uh, we built a new hybrid fiber coax plant, a 96 fiber loop, 750 megahertz plant, and then started providing all three of those uh, services. And we chugged along pretty good, you know, adding more video channels, as you can expect. Um, internet became, high-speed internet became more popular all the time, more people using it. Um, so we went through different iterations of CMTSs or or I guess our internet product, if you will, with different cable modems from DOCSIS 1 to DOCSIS 2. And then before we built our fiber network, you know, we were looking at DOCSIS 3.0 and, and we just kept chasing our tail uh, with trying to keep up with the, you know, the exponential growth of, of bandwidth that people were needing for internet. And our plant, you know, is still a, a coax-based plant. It was getting about 20 years old. And so, you know, 20, 20 years of cycling in, in Iowa weather, freezing and thawing was starting to show its wear and tear and, and different things, and maintenance costs were starting to go up. And so we'd always looked at fiber uh, to the home a long time ago when we put our HFC system in, but at the time, it just we couldn't do it. It just cost too much. But as with anything, you know, technology advances, cost of equipment comes down, it gets faster and cheaper at the same time, which is, is not normal, but the way the telecom world seems to act. And so we, we looked at and did another perform on changing our plan out and overbuilding again with fiber to the home. And so that's what we did. So in 2017, we ended up building fiber to every home and business in Can Rapids. And we did it a little different uh, than most people, meaning our town is so kind of dense and, and small in geography that instead of putting splitters out in the fields and stuff of that nature, we ran a home run from our NOC building, our network operations center, to every home and business in Coon Rapids. Because, the, you know, the, the cost, the main cost of the construction was actually the digging, tearing up streets, boring, and stuff of that nature. So it just didn't make financial sense for us to put a splitter uh, or a splitter cabinet, you know, a half a mile from our knock when we could just have to run all the fiber there anyway. So we overbuilt our town about three to one with as much fiber as we need for everybody. And uh, we have a really great system today. And do you actually face any competition then? Um, has the telephone company started offering DSL or um, what's the competitive landscape? Yeah, well, for, for cable television, we don't have another uh, wireline-based competitor. Uh, we obviously have Dish, DirecTV. Now all the streaming products, since we have good internet, um, as far as YouTube TV, uh, Hulu, you know, what have you from those, from those guys, um, so that's on the video side. On the on the telephone side, yes, we've had an incumbent telephone provider that's here 
Um, it, it, when we first started out, it was, it was a company called GTE, then it went to Iowa Telecom, and now it's uh, been acquired by Windstream. So, and it's still copper-based, but yes, they have DSL uh, that we compete with, but their plant's uh, pretty darn old. And copper-based system with DSL, you know, has its limitations um, as, as far as, you know, providing real good service out, especially the farther you get away from their CO, so... Right, and they I know that they in, in Frontier are usually competing for not being held in the highest esteem um, by customers. So um, I'm sure there's quite a different reputational um, Yeah, you uh, said situation. that I did, but I would agree with I, that. No, and I, I know I wouldn't wanna I wouldn't wanna put words into into the mouth of anyone I'm interviewing. Um I just I when I've looked at what Windstream has done to Georgia, um it's uh mm-hmm. Uh, people are pretty frustrated. So I, I appreciate it. You know, it's just this reality that, you know, Windstream, uh, those companies, they're going to put their money into the major metros first. Um, and that's what, you know, those of us that have 401ks and stuff like that, we kind of prefer that. <laughs> that and that's exactly what I tell people. Um, you know, if I'm investing in an investor-owned utility, I don't want them coming to towns my size first. Um, it, it doesn't make financial sense. I want a return on my investment and they need to go where they can get that return. And it's not in rural Iowa or rural anywhere really um until the very end so it makes sense it's understandable and that's that's capitalism that's how the markets work and, and i get it unfortunately that doesn't bode well for the residents of the rural areas where they live so if they want to stay up with times unfortunately they're gonna to have to do it themselves so let me ask what what challenges have you had recently i'm curious i mean in particular and we could probably start with the video i mean i have to assume that um, you know, even large providers are having trouble with the video costs. Um, and now you're competing with YouTube effectively, which, you know, I'm not even sure if, if Google's making money on the YouTube TV. Um, yep. But but how is that going for you? It's not. Uh, video is horrible. I mean, we lose money on it uh, every year. And we've debated about getting out of the video business. I mean, every year, every six months at meetings, we talk about it. But you know, until there's a really good replace. Right now, it's very easy. I mean, we offer linear products, so you have analog and high def, um, and then we also have the TV Everywhere platform for those networks that that make it available. So it, it's very easy for our customer base to manipulate and to use. It's traditional; they're used to it. And you know, in our population base too, is you got to know your customers. You know, we have an elderly population, um, and, and quite a few of those people over 55 in our town make up you know the majority of our customer base. So. For us, too, it's about meeting their desires and their wishes. And right now, you know, teaching them how to, you know, put a, a Roku streaming stick in their TV, source to that, surf through that, and select their channels and stuff, just, you know, it's just a little too much to ask yet. You know, but every year, you know, our customer base gets smarter, they get more educated, they get, you know, more used to, to doing that, sourcing to a different source on their TV, if you will or a different input to, to watch video and stuff. So it's coming, uh, but it's not there yet. But again, we don't like hemorrhaging money and losing uh, money like we do in video. But uh, until, I mean, we're still profitable, you know, very profitable, I would say, for as small as we are. When you put all three of the, you know, the revenue streams and the utilities together, but we are subsidizing video um, pretty heavily to keep offering it. So like I said, until such time that, there is a, a more viable, easy-to-use product that our customers are happy with, um, then we'll get out of that, that space. And what other challenges have you faced? Um, you know, you're, uh, I would say you're not the smallest that we've run into, but you're pretty close. <laughs> yeah. I don't know as far as challenges. I mean, it's always about serving the customer. If you keep that in mind first, 
then it comes pretty easy. You just give them what they want. And I think that's what separates us from from our competitors. And it doesn't matter what the what the, the business model is, but it's the service that goes behind it. I mean, when we go to customers' homes, we reprogram their TVs. You know, we'll move furniture. We'll hook up their stereos. We re- reprogram their remotes. You know, we, we want to make their experience pleasurable. And we've really had the opportunity to do that with Internet now. With Internet, you know, everybody wants to make it wireless in their house. So they have wireless routers. And, and that caused a lot of heartache with us at first um, when we had our HSC system because everybody would go get these retail-grade routers at Walmart or Best Buy, come home and plug them in, usually put them in a closet or their furnace room, you know, <laughs> yes. they walk, walk 200 feet away and wonder why they don't have 100 megabits at their phone. And so, you know, it's been an educating thing to them about how RF signals work and, and uh, how every time you go through a wall, you know, it degrades the signal and stuff. And when we've come out with a managed Wi-Fi product now, too, um, that's really been a, a big hit and, and really helped us take a lot of service calls off of our uh, a list because the things just work. We put them in the right spots. We optimize, you know, the locations for them. We'll put uh, remote units out there as far as mesh units if they want whole home Wi-Fi. And, you know, we send upgrades and firmware updates every time a new uh, cell phone or a, a new smartphone comes out to make sure they have the latest software and firmware to run it and before it works. And the thing just works. And, and that's what they want. You know, they don't they don't want to know about interference or tile or, or why is this not working here? They just want it to work when they want it, where they want it. And, and that's what we want to do for them. Yeah, the um, some of the background noise that um, that people are hearing is uh, work in my my basement. And um, while everything's open, I have a spool of Cat6 cabling because um, we have our wireless out, but we try to keep as much off of it as possible to, to keep the experience high. Well, you sound just like what we tell our customers. We always tell our customers that a wireless is a happy device. So anything <laughs> that you can wire, we want to wire and we try to take it back uh, to their ONT where that's at. And it's just, just like everything. you know. The more you can keep off your wireless network when you do want to use it, then the better it will perform. So even though your TV that you just bought at Kmart and put in your kitchen has a wireless connection in it uh, for Internet, if you can wire it, wire it so that it stays off of there. And then when you're using your cell phone or you're using your laptop, you're just going to get the best experience you can. So what what else has happened around town that that um, to get back to where we started? I'd like to end with um, some more positive stories. Um, you know, do you do you hear from folks? You know that you've brought business to town. Like, uh, what do you hear about being a town that um, has such great internet access? I mean, there's we have a lot of towns that have fiber now in rural areas, but you've had yep. it longer than many. Sure. No, we do get positive feedback. Like I said, the, like all the businesses that require it now, like the insurance companies, even even your convenience stores, you know, from their gas pumps to their credit card machines, everything goes over the internet now because it's lower cost. They used to have to use dial-up modems and stuff of that nature, and and it's just such a faster, uh, better experience now. And so same thing with our school. You know, our school now is gigabit service, and they're offering so much more online and interactive programs into their curriculum, and I expect that will, you know, continue. But we can watch their load go up, and it's just been amazing to see how their load has grown uh, with the access to, to high-speed internet now. So, I, yeah, I just I can't imagine uh, um, not having it or having access to it. Um, it would certainly be a hurdle to, to overcome to keep your business community prosper and to keep moving forward. Do you uh, do you have any naysayers in town? <laughs> oh, yeah. Every, just... every, everybody has naysayers. <laughs> I, I'd like to tell people if somebody came up with uh, – 
the idea to abolish hell that half the other people be against it because of who came up with it. So <laughs> right. we, we do, but, uh, you know, in, in general with, like I said, with modern communications and stuff of that nature, I, I can't see how anybody um, is against having the fastest, most reliable internet that you have. And our whole network's underground. We bury all our, our electric. Everything's underground from reliability and storms that we have in Iowa um, from that nature. So, um, like I said, out of sight, out of mind, you know, we want the people every time they hit the button when it clicks, you know, for their pages to load as fast as they can and not think about it. It's like when they turn on their light switch, we want the lights to come on, not think about it. Um, we just want to be in the background and have it work every time, all the time, and, and have us be forgotten almost, and we know we're doing our job well. Well, I'm definitely jealous because I've been a, a proponent of the undergrounding for a while as well. Um, I, I guess my last question is then, I'm curious, the areas around you, how are they served? And have you considered um, expanding beyond your territory? We have, and, and that's a little tricky uh, for us. We do do some wireless. So on our water tower, we do have two uh, APs. So we provide wireless to some of our rural customers within about a seven-mile uh, boundary, I guess, to our northeast and to our you know, southeast. Um, and that's gone really well, and they've been very appreciative. But our town has a little unique geography where we're right at the base of where the glacier stops. So north of town's pretty much flat, and south of town's really hilly and has a lot of ravines. So even if we were to put an AP on the south side, it would hit about a half mile south of town and stop because of the mm -hmm. hill. And so we'd have to put a lot more infrastructure out there. Um, and, and we've also had discussions about expanding, but, you know, we have a, a base where the people in town have paid for the network, you know, three times over, you know, since the 80s. Um, and then when you get out to the rural area, you know, there's obviously a higher cost per mile per customer served. And and so we always have the, the moral debate, you know, should we be spending the people in the community's money to venture and, and get risky to, to serve these higher cost customers out in the country who really aren't a part of our community and or the people who built the network. And so, um, like I said, though, we want, we want to try to provide service to them, but it's got to make sense for, you know, our, our residents and our people too. We don't want to spend money foolishly. And we, you know, we've looked at some of the, uh, the subsidy money from the government and stuff and, and possibly looking at building out. Um, and we still continue to do that. And if the business case is there to do it and, and really not risk um, the people who built our network, we'll, we'll, we'll probably will do that. Yeah, when I've had this conversation with other folks, you know, we, we talked a little earlier about spreading the costs, and um, mm -hmm. it's it's easier if you had twenty thousand customers to spread the risk than among, um, you know, <laughs> fewer. Right. Um, so, uh, well, thank you so much for taking time today. I've um, I'm sorry that we haven't had you on before, but I'm really glad that we finally filled that hole and uh, um, love learning about what's going on in Coon Rapids. So, thank you. You bet. Not a problem. Thanks, Christopher. That was Christopher talking with Brad Honnold. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support, in any amount, keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 419 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.